Good morning and welcome to church. Shall we pray, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne of grace. We thank you for an opportunity to gather again as your choicest people. And we thank you that today's word will come with its transformative power that will accompany the word to bring forth profit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Glad to see all of you in church. Uh, those of you who are here on uh, um, worshiping about to be online, uh, welcome. And we pray that you'll be blessed as we go into the Word of God. Today is part 80 of our series on the book of John, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we are looking at John chapter 17. Today is a long read. So follow along as I do the reading. Amen. Verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. For I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you've given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Whilst I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, and you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name. And I will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. What a lengthy read. I felt like I was in primary school when they, they would tell you to stand up and then read a whole chapter of a textbook. <laughs> Amen. Today I'm ministering under the sub the Lord's Prayer. Before we get into the text, I just want us to note some truths of about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Firstly, he's a man of prayer. Jesus loved praying, and presently he's an intercessor. You know, um, there are many accounts of him praying, which is replete in the Gospels, especially between Matthew and Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, lets us know that Jesus spent all night praying to choose his disciples. Jesus was a man of prayer. He, he just didn't pray on special occasions. Prayer was his lifestyle. He was a man of prayer. And Apostle Paul, authoritatively by the Holy Spirit, said that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if we are to imitate Christ, one of the things we are to imitate of Christ is his prayer life. He was a man of prayer. The second thing that I want you to know is that he is a man of love. As I read the scriptures, you can see so much love oozing, so much passion. You know, love and passion sometimes go together. He had passionate love for the people he was praying for. And let me tell you something. Effective players, they flow through the conduits of love. Because you can be a hater and be prayerful. I'll give you a typical example. The Pharisees. Did you know that the Pharisees and Jesus, they had some things in common? Both loved the word of God. Both loved to read and study the word of God. Both were teachers. Both prayed. But one was a hater. One was a lover. And that is why the Pharisees, even though they, they uh, saw prayer as a religious duty and a religious fashion, they lacked the power, the potency, and the fervor of prayer. Because 
effective prayer can only flow through the conduits of love. Once upon a time in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, he, he looked at his disciples and he says, look, I'm able to do this because I have the God kind of faith. Have faith in God. And after he had given them a, a treatise on the subject of faith, he then closed it by saying, and when you stand praying, forgive that my heavenly father will forgive you. And forgiveness is a manifestation of love. Therefore, if you don't have love, you will never be able to harness the power and the potency of prayer. The third thing that I want us to notice is that Jesus loved the world and he still loves the world. That was why he prayed in this instance. Because it was his love he had for the world that made him go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. I'm sure as the hours were drawing by to his crucifixion, it was very agonizing. But he prayed because he had love, because he saw the task that was ahead of him. And the task was to take the whole sins of the world and become the sinless lamp. Jesus loved the world and he still loves the world. Jesus loved his disciples. He prayed for them. I believe one of the best expressions of love is to pray for somebody. Jesus loved his disciples. He prayed for them. In fact, when you read the scripture, you can see that he thought of their welfare. And lastly, Jesus was an obedient son. And this same scripture is in Matthew chapter 26, but the prayer is not recorded. This was Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when you read Matthew's account, he presented himself as a son who was obedient. He said, Lord, if this be thy will, take this cup and let it pass over me. But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was an obedient son. So in our scripture reading for today, we see Jesus' prayer in three parts. We see that he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us who will come into the fold of faith that we can ascribe with that identity that we are believers. So let's look into it. Verses 1 to 5, Jesus prayed for himself. And the prayer that Jesus prayed for himself was, Lord, glorify me because the hour has come. And when Christ was talking about glorify, he was talking about being exalted to a glorious rank. And as we read in the scriptures, Jesus says that, take me back to where I was before the foundation of the world. Glorify me because the hour has come. I have obeyed your work. I have done your bidding. I have finished my course. A time has come that the people do not have to keep on seeing me as Jesus, the son of Mary, but they have to see me as Jesus, the son of God, Jesus as the king of kings, Jesus as the Lord of lords. I need to be exalted back to my glorious splendor before the foundation of the world. A co-creator, co-existence, co-eternal person of the Godhead. I need to be exalted back. Because that is how every knee will bow. 
every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It will not happen because I am walking clothed in human flesh and known as the son of Mary. But it will come because I have been exalted supreme as the Lord, as God divine. Jesus prayed that prayer. And he prayed that prayer on the account that he was the giver of life eternal. And he had finished the work of the Father. I find it interesting. Because as we go through the, the chapters of John, we will realize that in chapter 19, verse 31, Jesus finally said, it is finished. But what I learned from this story was that sometimes obedience with an attitude precedes even getting the job done. So in Jesus' mind, he had actually finished the job. But the manifestation of it was when he was hanging on the cross. Because Jesus had tuned his mind that I am going to fulfill the will of my father. And that was the price it came. Amen. He prayed that, may I be glorified. And thank God that we are serving an exalted Jesus. An exalted Jesus is for our benefit. Today, the Bible study that we did, that we were talking about, we've become recipients of his washing, of his sanctification, of his cleansing, of his justification. All happened because Christ has been exalted. So he had to be exalted for our benefits. He had to be exalted so that we can experience this grace and, and, and what Christianity really has to offer. We had to be exalted so that the Holy Spirit could be poured upon all flesh. A time comes that Christ has to stop being the son of Mary that people are affiliating him with and become truly the son of God. The king of kings. The lord of lords. Christ says that it is time. That is the only prayer he prayed for himself. Glorify me, Lord. Glorify me. But the avenue through which it was going to happen was through pain and painful experience. He was going to die on the cross. And, 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 and for paying that price, his name has been exalted above every other name that every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the sea will bow. Every tongue in heaven, on earth, and under the sea will confess that Jesus is Lord. Thank God for the exaltation of Jesus. Today, you and I, we can celebrate all the fringe benefits that salvation has to offer. We can celebrate the liberty that we have experienced as a result of this dispensation of grace because of the exalted Christ. He had to be exalted for our benefits. He had to be exalted for our advantage. He had to be exalted for our winning. He had to be exalted for our liberty. So when Christ is talking about the hour has come that I might be glorified, he's not talking about it from a selfish point of view. He's talking about it from a selfless point of view. He has to be exalted for you. He has to be exalted for me. He has to be exalted for us. So when Christ was praying that prayer for himself, in effect, he was praying for us. That when I am risen, you are also risen. 
when I reign, you also reign. And where I live, where I inhabit, you can also inhabit at the end of this age. Thank God for his exaltation. The second prayer is in verses 6 to 19. And he prayed for his disciples. Jesus manifested God's name to the disciples. When Jesus came, he expounded on who God is to his disciples. And he said it right here in the prayer. It's on record that I have manifested your name to them. So I believe that Jesus began to explain to them why God is called Jehovah Rapha. And Jesus became that. Why God is called Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. And Jesus demonstrated that. Why God is called Jehovah, the um, the one who provides, Jireh. And he demonstrated that. So the names that the Israelites knew, the redemptive names, Jesus came to live that. He came to make God as plain as day. So that these people could get it. He manifested God's name to the disciples. And Jesus also became a good shepherd and he taught them the word. He was a good shepherd. He talked about his care. He talked about how he has shepherded them. He said that I have kept all. It is only one who is lost. He is the son of perdition. And that had to happen because scripture has to be fulfilled. Jesus talked about himself that I am a good shepherd. Jesus spoke about himself that I am a teacher. I have taught them the word. I have shepherded the people. And Jesus also said that I have also made them know that I am of God. I am of you, my father. I am not just of Mary. And they believe that you have sent me. So on these grounds, Jesus prayed two important prayers for his disciples. He said that God, you will keep them through your name. He says, I pray for them. Don't take them out of this world. Even though the world is dangerous. Even though the world is evil. They have taken my word. The world hates them. And my prayer for these disciples is that, Lord, don't take them out. Is it not funny that Jesus sees danger, but he didn't pray that they should live out of danger. He rather says that, I pray that you will be kept through my name to be strengthened to go through danger and fulfill your mission. Hear me and hear me clear. Sometimes you might be going through some rough patches and we will be praying for deliverance. God will not take us out of that rough patch, but sometimes he will take us through that and strengthen us. And look at the disciples. Everything they had to go through, all the dangers, all the opposition they had to go through for the word of God to expound, for Christianity to expand, for, for, for us to now come to a place where you and I have become recipients of the blood of the apostles that has been shed so that the gospel can be expanded, so that the gospel can be preached to every tongue and every creed and every race. Jesus prayed, they should not leave this world. They should be kept. But keep them through your name. So Jesus was praying for 
divine protection for them. May you be protected. Divine protection. It is going to be rough. You will be among wolves who are savages. But I pray that may you be kept by his name. May you be kept by the power of God. Even though you might go to the Gentile region where you will experience wolves, may you be kept. Even though you might go to Jerusalem and preach the gospel and you will have the, the, the people of Judaism who will want to become thorns in your flesh, may you be kept to go through. I came to tell you that Jesus is praying for you this day. Hebrews 7.25 He makes intercession for us. I'm telling you, there are some things that you are praying that Lord, deliver me out of it. Deliver me out of it. He will deliver you through it because you are going to be kept by his name and through his name. The second prayer point was that Lord, that they may be sanctified by the word and the word is truth. And when you look at this meaning of the word sanctify in this text here, it actually means reform their minds. The popular consensus definition of sanctification is we have been set apart or we've been made holy, which is very true and which is very correct. But in this particular context of this scripture, the word sanctification here means that Lord, reform their minds, for your word is truth. And listen to me carefully. It is a reformed mind who is able to walk pure in the ways of God. As the mind is, so your ways are. So if you want to live pure for God, it first has to start with a mind change. There needs to be a reformation of the mind. So when Jesus was praying for his disciples, he didn't just pray for divine protection. He didn't just pray that his disciples would be kept by the name of God and through the name of God. He also prayed that may they experience a reformation of their minds. May they experience a reformation whereby they will leave the law and will embrace the gospel of grace. May they come to a place where they will forsake the old covenant and embrace the new covenant. To do that, it takes a reformation. And Jesus says that set them apart. Reform their minds by the word of God, which is truth. Reform them by truth. Your word is truth. And thank God that it is because of the reformation of this mind that is why the disciples were able to write the epistles. From Acts going, anybody that touched the epistle and authored them through the Holy Spirit was a reformed mind. Thank God for prayers. Now, when we go to the third part of our prayer, Jesus is praying for us. And that is verses 20. To 26. Jesus could have ended the prayer and make his ascent towards the Calvary cross or the Mount of Calvary, I'm sorry. But he thought of you and me. He didn't just end the prayer. 
Do you know that when Jesus prayed this prayer, I wasn't born, you weren't born, father wasn't born, mother wasn't born, grandfather wasn't born, great, great, great grandfather wasn't born. But Jesus thought of us. He thought of all of us today who will gather under the umbrella of salvation that we are Christians. He thought of one day people from different ethnos, different groups, different creeds, different tongues, different races. We may not all speak the same language, but one language that can unify us together is the name of Jesus. He thought of all of us and he prayed. He could have ended this prayer on this note, but Jesus went a step ahead. Can you believe that Jesus prayed for you when you were not born? That is how important you are. That is how precious you are to him. Jesus thought of you when you were not born. Jesus prayed for you when he was not born. When he was about to die, instead of him thinking of himself and going into self-preservation mode, he thought of you. He thought of me. And he prayed three prayers for us. We will be one and united like the father-son relationship. He said, I pray that the coming army of disciples, who are more than my disciples, I pray that may they be one. May they be united. Just like the father in me and I in you. May they be united. Oh, Jesus prayed for unity. That is why we can all gather as Christians and we don't even speak the same language. But there is something powerful when we mention the name of Jesus. It unites us together. I have been to services where I never spoke the language and they never understood me. But what could unite us together was hallelujah. What could unite us together was amen. What could unite us together was Jesus. Oh, thank God for this prayer. May we be united. Because it is when the church is advice, advancing in a united front that truly we can take over territories for the kingdom of God. Jesus prayed that may we be one. And then he prayed the second prayer for us that may our oneness cause the world to believe that God sent Christ. Please listen to me. If we want to come to a place where people will believe in Christ as the son of God, where people will not see Christ as a fable or as a myth, we have to stress on unity, oneness. And when I'm talking about oneness, I'm not talking about oneness or unity within a sect or a denomination. When I'm talking about oneness, I'm not talking about oneness within the charismatic denomination or oneness between, within the Pentecostal denomination. When I'm talking about oneness, I'm talking about oneness that cuts across non-denominational we have to come to a place where we have to break denominational barriers 
and come together united as one. We come in lockstep with each other because we are united by the name of Jesus. We are united that Christ is God and he came to die for our sins and has set us free. As far as we sing the same tune, we sing the same chorus, we don't deny the divinity of God, we should be united. And when we are united, it is through that that the world will come to know that God indeed sends Christ. And when that happens, it will cause many to receive the gospel. And that is why in the book of Acts, when Jesus went, one of the things that really hindered the flow of God to a certain extent was denominational barriers. The church of Jerusalem saw themselves that we can't mingle with Gentiles. That was a problem. But one person out of the church of Jerusalem had to volunteer himself to go to the Gentile region. And it is that untouched world that has become on fire for God. And I will thank God for Apostle Paul. So what I'm trying to say is that we shouldn't allow certain barriers, we shouldn't allow certain lines to divide us and separate us. Because if people will come to the saving knowledge of Christ, we have to be one. We have to be united. Christ prayed that we will be united. Christ prayed that out of our unity, may it bring a multiplier effect that people will believe in Christ as the gift of salvation to the world. And then the last prayer he prayed was that may we see his glory as the exalted Christ. Because it is through seeing him in his glory as the exalted Christ that we will come to a place of power, a place of fulfillment, a place of abundance, a place of grace, 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 a place where we will understand grace. Today, one of the things that is hindering us and, and not letting us flow in the Christian work with God is that we have not seen Christ exalted. And we don't have enough knowledge of his exaltation. We know about his crucifixion. We know about his burial. We know about his death. We know about his resurrection. But after that, most Christians are silent. We should talk about his exaltation. That is his glory. Because when we talk about that, that is where the life spring and the life force of Christianity begins. So what can we learn from today's message? It's we have to approach God our Father with reverence and value the sacredness of prayer. I hope as you heard this message, you are not just listening to Jesus' prayer topics, but I also want you to catch the spirit of, 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 of the attitude and the posture by which Jesus approached prayer. Amen.
The best expression of love towards your fellow man is to pray for man. Jesus demonstrated that. It's the best expression. How did Jesus prove that he loved his disciples? He prayed for them. How can you prove you love your fellow man? Pray for them. Pray for them. Don't pray against them. Pray for them. Thirdly, we are working in the manifestation of prayers by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about it. Christ has been glorified and been exalted. That was a prayer topic. It's been checkmarked. The disciples were kept through his name and did many mighty works. There was no amount of pain, no amount of tribulation that could stop the advancement of the gospel. Do you know why? Because of a divine being's prayer force that carried momentum and that sustained them. In the face of opposition and fierce attacks, these people were willing to die. Why? Because someone prayed. These disciples wrote the epistles. It showed how God had indeed sanctified them by the word and how he had really worked on their mind. Look at today's Bible study. The rich revelations came from Peter. Do you know who Peter was? Check Peter. Check his background. From who he was and from what he is writing about the glorious riches of Christ's inheritance in his epistle in 1 Peter. It shows a mind shift, a mind change really occurred. God answers prayer. The present day church of Christ is united. That is why we are the fastest growing, if you want to call it a religion, in this world. It is so not because of showmanship. It is so not because of superstars. It is so because of the ancient wisdom of unity. And we can all see Christ in his glory as the exalted Christ. That is why when we shout, Jesus, there is power that backs it. Because it is part of his glory as the exalted Christ. I'm saying all this just to let you know God answers prayer. So, as we have read over the prayer of Christ, may you have an effective prayer life like our Savior and Lord on this earth. I came to admonish you to start praying. I just didn't want you to fall in love and and romanticize the prayer topics. But I want you to catch something deeper than the content of John chapter 17. I want you to look at the prayer habits and the prayer life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that may you catch that zeal and may you catch that, that unction to be able to pray in the name of Jesus. I came to admonish you to start praying. Start praying again. And if you have started, never ever stop praying. Continue praying. I know we are about to reach the summer. And here in America, when we reach the summer, churches become lazy. You know, we relax and everything. Summer is, summer is something in church, especially in America. But, but don't, don't let this summer lull you to sleep. But rather, be on fire, especially with your prayer life. Amen. So today, this concludes chapter 17. And we are breaking for our series for a while. And when we resume again, we will continue with chapter 18. 
Ipad 81. But I pray this morning that as you have heard this message, may you have the prayer life of Jesus. And when I'm talking about the prayer life of Jesus, I'm talking about reverence. May you approach prayer as a very sacred act with reverence. Jesus had it. Consistent. The power of prayer is in its consistency. It is not necessarily in the duration and the theatrics. It is in its consistency. Having prayer times daily harnesses the power of prayer. I pray that may we have the prayer life of Jesus that may we come to a place where we will be willing and yielding to the master's voice. Look, there is no need walking in perpetual disobedience if you are praying. No need. Because sometimes when we pray, the, 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 the fruits, the act of prayer is to be willing and to be yielding to obey what the master will tell us in our communication times with God. I pray that may we be willing and yielding. That was a facet of Jesus. Willing and yielding. May we have a heart of intercession. Jesus had a heart of intercession. May your prayer points not be just me, myself, and I. May we have a heart of intercession. Finally, may we have love for people. Love for people. Because sometimes you can be a prayer warrior. Absent of love for people. But you will just be making noise. But I pray that may we come to a place whereby we pray like Jesus. We have love for people, passion for people. The Pharisees didn't have it. They could pray. They could pray long hours. They fasted twice a week. But they didn't experience that power that James talked about in James 5.16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. As, as the Amplified Version says, it, 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 it releases power dynamic in its working. They never experienced that dynamism in prayer because they were religious and they hated people. If you have hate in your heart, I have come to tell you that you will be disappointed with the lack of resource in your prayer life. If you want to come to a place where we can pray like Jesus, love for people. Lift up your hands and touch your hearts. Let's touch your hearts. God should deal with your hearts before you, you, get, you, you get into the habit of prayer. Because the posture of your heart matters more to God than getting into the habit of prayer. May we not be like the Pharisees. May we not be like the religious leaders. But, but may we have a heart like Jesus. The heart matters to God. The posture of the heart matters to God. It matters. It matters. Touch our hearts, O Lord. Touch our hearts, O Lord. Father, we've come with two prayer requests. Touch our hearts, O Lord, to love people, to have a heart for people. And Lord, may we get into the habit of prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.